We are giving some extra time to uh, this part of our service because of communion today. We will be having our ABF groups afterwards, and so if you're not part of one of those groups, we would invite you to try one of those out. We've got, oh, uh, three or four for you to choose from, and they all have a different kind of um, approach that they take. And also, you hopefully received in your bulletin um, a bulletin that gives you some prayer requests for some of our missionaries. We are blessed to be at a church that focuses on missions so much, and so if you keep up with the Hawkins or the Marquiles or the Masons, or the Mayors, or the Zeeks. These are some specific prayer requests that you can take in. And uh, I know they, they love two aspects of being supported. They love the financial support. That's what makes it possible for them to go out and do what they do. But they also, I've talked to many missionaries, and they covet the prayer support. And so I love being able to say to missionaries, you are being prayed for. We have a prayer group here at Calvary that is praying for you, so please give us those requests, and they love that partnership, and so we are blessed to be a part of that. Please take those and put them somewhere where you'll see them a lot. You can put them on your refrigerator. Maybe you'll see them more if you put it inside your refrigerator. I'm not sure, but uh, please do pray for our missionaries. I'd like for us to stop one more time and ask for God's blessing. Father, how beautiful it is that we can sing about what you have done for us. The songs today have been peppered with what you did, Father, what your Son chose to do, the involvement of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we respond to the gospel and walk in this world, and we thank you for how great you are and how great your plan is. Would you allow us now as we look to your word and observe the Lord's Supper to be blessed, and may you be blessed as well from this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I think that when we go through life, certain people have some things that frustrate them more than others. If I had to guess a couple different things that appear to be a major frustration to a large number of people, I would say this, I'm speaking from personal experience here as well. I think that when we have car problems, that can be a major frustration, right? I saw a car just yesterday at a major intersection with its hood up, and I felt bad for that person, the struggle that you go through. And then if you don't have a dependable, honest mechanic, you're wondering if you're going to you know, overpay and what's going to happen. That decision of, of paying to get the car fixed versus selling it and getting another one because you're not sure what the right decision is. Another problem that a lot of people can connect with is the problem that comes up with computers, computers. Now I'm seeing everybody who's 40 and older shaking your heads yes, and everybody else younger is not really shaking your heads yes. I think when we get into computers and we can't make it work, it's very frustrating. And then we get into that definition of insanity, maybe you've heard that before, What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting what? A different result. We had some computer issues this past week here. We've had something new in the church office. And I found myself going to a section on my computer that I don't go to very often. It was the default settings section on my computer. Now, I'm not a computer guy, and so I tread very lightly when I go towards the default settings. If you go to change some things and then it asks you, do you want to make this your default setting? I have in my head that there are all kinds of domino effects that are going to happen if I say yes. 
Like I'm, I don't know what could happen, but I'm spooked about doing that. I typically stick with the default settings. Even though when I go to make a document, I think it's accurate to say that probably 85% of the time that I make a document, I go right away into the Word settings and I change what my default page is. I have a certain size sheet that I will use um, for my, a lesson I'm teaching or a sermon that I'm preaching. And so I know right what that is. So it would make sense if I had the guts to do it that I would change my default setting to what this is. But I simply won't do it. I'm spooked by it. I'm going to say that default setting is good enough for me, so I'm not going to mess with it. As we come today and approach the Lord's Supper, I'm going to suggest to us that we as strugglers in this world, we as folks that have been saved by the grace of God and yet still live in a world where we battle sin, we battle the devil, and we battle discouragement so often, I want to suggest to us that the default position for so many Christians is this. It's that God is tolerating us in some kind of way. Oftentimes when we come to the Lord's Supper and we talk about the sacrifice of Christ and we point us to a place where we should be thankful and grateful and then we'll hear some words like make sure you're taking of this in a worthy manner. And we think to ourselves, oh, I know what I did last week. I know where I messed up in the past few weeks. And our default setting, unfortunately, is that God is simply tolerating us. And I'm going to work to combat that in just a few minutes as we open God's Word. And we're going to focus today solely on the Lord's Supper. I'm going to try to combat that. We live in a world where we are blessed to have hundreds of thousands of churches. And as the church has the word of God for its manual as to how we do things, we find, as I have studied it, two ordinances that the church has been given. Two things that God has said, do these things as long as the church meets until Jesus Christ comes back. We're going to look at one of those today. We're going to look at the Lord's Supper. Now, the first one that we won't focus on is baptism. The Word of God teaches that every individual who has been saved should be baptized. It is, uh, it's an area of showing our testimony to others that are around. It's also an area of obedience. If you've not been baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're disobedient to something that God said the church should be doing. The one that we're going to look at more today is this area of the Lord's Supper. When we know that there are thousands of different churches you might have an understanding that there are many different ways that the Lord's Supper is done. And so if you're like me, you'll cut right to the point, well, what's the right way of doing it? And what's the wrong way of doing it? And I would ask you to ask that question a little bit slowly. Be very careful on things that the Bible is not crystal clear on to hold other people to what you think. I'm not asking you not to ask the question. But I am asking you to be very, very careful about judging others about something that the Word of God might not quite be clear on. All three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record the events of the Lord's Supper for us. It's a familiar area in God's Word to us. These three all record the events of the bread and the cup. 
All that being said, I want you to turn to two places in your Bible. If you would turn to Mark chapter 14, please. Turn to Mark chapter 14 and hold your place there. So Mark 14, hold your place there. And then if you turn over to 1 Corinthians 11. Mark 14 and then turn over to 1 Corinthians 11. If you're taking notes today, there will be three points. We're going to spend the bulk of our time on that third point, so hopefully it is climactic for us. And if you are taking notes, point number one is that when we talk about the question, who should be doing this, what's the right way of doing it, who should be observing the Lord's Supper? Well, the first point is the believing participants, the believing participants, When we look at communion, this ordinance that God has given the church, the Lord's Supper is to be celebrated properly by the gathered family of those who know Jesus Christ as Savior. And so the gospel is this. God in heaven chose to leave his place in heaven and take on human flesh. And most people love that because that's when we celebrate what? We celebrate Christmas When the God of heaven took on human flesh, came down to earth, and we love to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. By the way, if you're a student of history, I think you'll probably find that celebrating birthdays is a rather contemporary thing. That doesn't really go back a couple thousand years and and, uh, really not even several hundred years. People would oftentimes remember when somebody died. But this idea of celebrating birthdays really has just come up in the, in the past couple hundred years. And of course, we like a birthday party. It seems like any excuse to have cake and ice cream, we will do that. And so tell me when your birthday is so I can have cake and ice cream. Even if I don't come to your house, I will celebrate your birthday by having cake and ice cream. When we think of God taking on human flesh, this is the beginning of the gospel. And we are blessed to have a record in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of what Jesus did, that he proved that he was God. He trained disciples who would start the church, which is going to continue until Jesus comes back. He healed the sick. He showed compassion. He never sinned, but the most important thing that Jesus Christ did was he died on a cross, a cruel death for you and for me. Because when sin came into the world, we as men and women were separated from God. But lovingly, God made a way for us to have fellowship once again. And the price was paid. When there was this incredible void that was there, God the Son, if you can picture this, basically said, Father, may I? May I leave the beauty of heaven and where we are at, to go down to the world that we created. And he did not come to be the king like many of them thought he would be. He came down to be spat upon. He came down to be ridiculed and attacked. And he came down ultimately to pay the price on the cross for the sins of mankind. This is the gospel. And anyone who comes to that understanding that they are separated from God and that Jesus Christ paid the price, they can accept this gift of salvation. So who is it that is to participate in the Lord's Supper? It is believers. Now, we're doing this on a Sunday morning. We have folks that are here today that I've never met before. We do not have a closed communion service. And different churches will do it different ways. Don't be too quick to judge 
But I would suggest to you that one of the reasons why we do not close this off is because we actually want people that don't know Jesus Christ as Savior to see us doing this. We don't want people to feel bad. It's normal that when we do this, I'll say, if you're not sure you're saved or if you're not sure what we're doing here, just pass the plate on by and don't take part of the bread and part of the cup. Just pass it by. And I would suggest to us that we are glad for those who aren't quite sure about salvation to observe us seeing this. It's not something secretive. In fact, one of the goals that you can make for yourself if you know Christ is that you can allow someone else who is observing and are people observing when we do these things? Oh, you better believe it. I can remember vividly sitting on the pew next to my mother and looking up during these type of services. I can remember seeing a tear in the eye. And as a kid, I'm thinking, well, what's that all about? Did I step on her toe? Why, why has she got a tear in her eye when we come and do this? Understand there are people that are watching. Yes, these young ones, but also people who might not understand what it is to go through life with the love of a Savior. And so it's very important to us as we come to this time that it is special for God's children. We're in 1 Corinthians 11. One word in one verse that I want to point out that kind of backs up this idea of people observing this. Verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11 says in the same uh, says uh, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup you what proclaim the lord's death until he comes a celebration of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and others might be able to see our devotion and so if you are here today and you're not familiar with what's going on we are glad for you to be here and to observe number 2 is the mental action, the mental action. Primarily, the mental action when we come to this time is an action of remembering. We are asking. We talk about. Oftentimes, even the music that we sing and the music that might get played while we're serving communion, all of these things are, are helping us remember what Christ did. So if you've ever had the question... What should be going through my mind when we're doing this? What should be going through our mind is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So all the events of Good Friday, the arrest of Jesus, that, the, the lashing that he took, the mocking, the crown of thorns, all of these different things, this is what our mind should be going to. This was the instruction of Christ. He wants us to think about his death and his resurrection and even something more, but we'll go into that in the third point. For both the bread and the cup, we will oftentimes say, remember me when you do this, and then we will partake of the bread or the cup. Your mind should not be wondering. Your mind should be directed to the work of Christ. And so we understand, and we have history on our side, this is a historical event. That's what it is. There was a Roman execution. There was a man who was crucified and he was put up on a tree, on a cross, 
for everybody to see. The way that he was held in place was by nails going through his hands and through his feet. To prove that he was dead, they took a spear and pierced it through his side to see if there was any reaction. And in history, this is an outrageous claim that God would choose to come down to this world. And of course, we would think if God came to this world, he would blow everybody away by being a leader and by people following him. And yet he was tortured to death. But the gospel goes on to say, three days later, he rose from the grave to conquer death and to conquer sin for you and for me. And so the mental action that we mainly partake of is remembering. But I'll tell you this, anybody can come and, and pick up the cup and the bread and, and eat it and drink it. And anybody can come and even look at the historical facts. But the third point not just can't be done by just anybody. The third point is the spiritual action. Those who eat and drink in a worthy manner partake in Christ's body and blood. Now, what does that mean? We partake in, of Christ's body and blood. I think it means that spiritually we are by faith supposed to be nourished by this action. Now, we will fight, we will work hard to make sure this isn't something that is just redundant, something that's boring. I would consider a personal failure if you were to come to a time like this and it was exactly like last time, there was nothing new about it. And yet, we kind of go through the same process every time. So how much can we do to affect that? What can we possibly do to make this something that is fresh? Where do we get this idea of partaking of the body of Christ? Well, if you want to turn back one page to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16 gives us a little bit of an idea. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of of Christ, and I think what the Apostle Paul is saying here is when you eat this bread, when you drink this cup, what he's saying is your faith should be embracing all that Christ accomplished for you. So you are remembering the historical part of Christ, but listen, this is what those who do not know Christ have when we come to this time. You are bringing something unique. Since the last time you joined together to partake of communion, your life is different. What do I mean by that? You've had opportunities to experience the mercy of God where very likely he should have done something in response to how you acted. It's likely that since you did this last time, you've experienced the beauty of God's presence where maybe you were in a valley and God was clearly there with you. Perhaps it is the realization of the forgiveness of God. I want to suggest to us that as we go through day after day and week after week, that we become different people as we come to this time. So this should not be boring and it should not be mundane because we bring something different that speaks of what the grace of God means to us. So perhaps when we come to this time and we're celebrating the work that was done on the cross, we might be coming in a different, with a different outlook on the peace that we have with God. 
Perhaps God gave you an incredible peace at some point in the past few weeks. Maybe it's a freedom from fear. These are things that God wants to give us. Maybe it was guidance in an uncertain season. Don't you hate the uncertain seasons? We spend so much time thinking on them and trying to solve them in our own strength. And maybe God gave you that guidance that you needed. Or maybe it was victory in temptation. And I could go on and on. But if you will just turn forward a little bit to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 gives us one small verse that I think points us to this idea. You see, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then what you're going to go through, some things will surprise you. Now, nothing ever surprises God. Did you know that He cannot be surprised? God cannot be shocked. He cannot be taken back. And yet there might come something in the next week that's going to surprise you. And when we look at what God wants us to have, once we understand salvation, when we come to this time to partake of this in a way that's going to help it to not be boring and repetitive, I think we find one word, it's the word all, in verse number 20 of 2 Corinthians 1, where it says this. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Don't you love that? All the promises that God wanted you to have finds their yes in the work of Jesus Christ. And I think we can take this and we can complement it with other verses. But it means that God's grace means something special and unique to you. So Jesus shed his blood to remove any obstacles that are between you and a generous God. That are between you and a gracious God. Prior to the cross, these things were not available to you. But now we are going to come to this time and we're going to be obedient in remembering the sacrifice of Christ And that is why this spiritual action is different from the first two that anybody can participate in. And I hope in observing the Lord's Supper with us today that you will have a fresh approach based upon what God's grace has meant to you in the past few weeks.